Welcome to the new Cat Chat brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, the wonderful private company owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose personal mission is to formulate litters that keep cats using the litter box, which keeps them in their loving homes. I'm Tracy Hotchner, the author of The Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know. My mission is to entertain, educate, and inspire cat lovers like you to give their kitty cats the best possible life in nutrition, affection, and environmental enrichment. With Dr. Elsie's support, the Cat Chat Show brings you interviews with cat authors and experts, some old favorites, some new conversations, so you can better understand and appreciate your own feline family members. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and contributing sponsor of my Cat Film Festival, short films from around the world that celebrate the kitty cat, which will be back in theaters as soon as they reopen. Meantime, thanks to Dr. Elsie's, you can now see streaming versions of the Cat Film Festival for free on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. Hope you enjoy listening and watching. I am back with Suzanne Schatz in Sweden, a most extraordinary woman who lives with five cats and is a linguist and has discovered that her cats and all cats have a language, a very elaborate language. Her book, The Secret Language of Cats, How to Understand Your Cat for a Better, Happier Relationship, is an extraordinary addition to the field. Suzanne, welcome to the show and congratulations on this wonderful book. Thank you. I know that uh, English is not your first language, and but that's true of a number of wonderful um, animal experts who come on the show. So everyone will hear your beautiful Swedish accent, and I want you to be comfortable speaking in English as comfortable as you could be. I couldn't say two words in Swedish, so I'm I'm very impressed as it is. But being a linguist um, and an associate professor of phonetics, language and how we talk to each other and how we understand each other is what you were already teaching and studying when your attention turned to cats. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And and was it because of the, the five cats at the time, it wasn't five, that you lived with that you discovered or paid attention to a language which I guess had always been there? Well, um, I think there were, there were two answers to this question. Firstly, I had noticed that I couldn't help myself uh, listening to my cats when they communicated with sounds with me, um, to listen to them with my phonetic ears, so to say. I, I listen to them as carefully as I listen to human speech at work. So I, I listen to the vowels, I listen to the intonation, the melody in their vocalizations, and I listen to the voice qualities. And I found that there was so much variation, and I wanted to, to learn more about that. So I began recording my cats using video and audio recordings. And at that time, uh, I went to a conference in Sweden, a phonetics conference, where a colleague of mine gave a talk about um, cat purring. And he had used linguistic phonetic methods to compare the purring of a large cheetah to a small house cat. And I found that so intriguing. I said to myself, well, if he can use the methods that I am familiar with to study animal vocalizations, why can't I? So I began talking to him afterwards and we decided to do something together. So we made actually made our first my first study of of cat vocalizations together with Robert Eklund, which is his name, uh, studying and comparing purring in several house cats. And, and the kinds of purring, and there's a wonderful description. I'd love to go through it a little bit, 
with the words that you have created or or decided to use to describe the various ways that cats um, express themselves both to each other and to us and, as you say in the book, to other animals. Before we go into that, can you explain to those of us who are ignorant of what linguistics or phonetics actually is, what that is as a lifelong study? Why, why do people study that and teach it? What is it that you're learning or teaching? Well, well we study uh, human speech. We study the different speech sounds, that is the vowels and the consonants, and how they vary between languages and between accents or dialects in, within languages. And we study not only how we perceive the different sounds, but we study how we articulate them, how we produce them using our vocal organs. And we study the acoustic patterns, which we can see uh, in different phonetic or, or uh, acoustic diagrams. We can look at the sound energy and we can look at the fundamental frequency, which we perceive as the intonation or melody and measure all kinds of things and find much variation in between different voices, between individual voices, between languages, between accents, dialects, and so on. You make it sound both lyrical and and sort of like physics at the same time, something tremendously scientific, and yet when you use words like melody, something fan, sort of fantastical in a different way of looking at language. I've never been exposed to this area of study is it very particular is it is it a very small group of study or does it go on around the world and many of us just aren't aware of it uh, good question i think there are phoneticians all over the world but um compared to other sciences it, it may not be as, as big as physics or or something like that but what's so exciting about phonetics is as you say it has these these elements of physics, the, the, the acoustic part of it, as well as, as the language part, the more linguistic part, where we try to find meaning and, and contribute, uh, well, different meanings to different types of, of saying something. And what's so exciting about this is that we've found that we can actually use the same methods for animal vocalizations as well. So we're taking this to, to uh, a new level and we're not the only ones doing that that's happening all over the world as well so and not only with cats with all sorts of animals and, and animal communication and and the first i had learned of it was a gentleman whose work i'm pretty sure you're aware of Konslobodjakov, who studied the language for about a decade living with the prairie dogs in i think it was arizona which had been treated as pests and he discovered in much the way you're talking about with uh microphones and recording equipment, the ways in which they, they have a lot of conversations with each other about a lot of topics. Is he, was he or is he quite alone as a, as a pioneer in the field of listening to animals or species of animals and knowing that they actually do have language? I don't think so. I think that many scientists have discovered that, lang that many animal species use acoustic communication with them, uh, with uh, with other within the same species, but but also the pets, for instance, with us humans. So we we tend to to think that we're unique. We're the the only right. species who, right. who uses language or spoken language as a way of communication. But I think that's that's not correct. Our way, of, our definition of language is unique. And if you compare human language to other 
animal species and their way of, of communicating with sounds, um, you can say that we're unique, but they have other ways, other meanings with, which fit their needs. Yes. So, so we have to, to rethink that a bit. And I, I think that's, he's not a pioneer, he's one of them, but there are I many see. other scientists who've discovered the same thing. And, and I'm just discovering it myself right now. So I think we're in an, an exciting turning point right now. Of turning, of turning what we know about human language, which still I'm sure there's a great deal to be learned. I, I don't know how many languages or dialects there must be. In a, in a continent like China, it, it must be almost, well, infinite would be ridiculous, but a lot, much yeah. less in, in Western-type languages. So when we turn it to cats, and you are definitely a pioneer because you have broken down the ways in which they vocalize in very specific descriptive ways, and you've also recorded it scientifically. So you have them divided into sounds made with an open mouth, when the mouth is first opening and then closing, and then with an open, tense mouth. I mean, you're very clear about when these noises can be produced by the cat's mouth. So the one that we're all so familiar with turns out to fall into the the open mouth, which is the purr. And then you describe what a purr is, and you even give it um, as, as if it was a, a, a human dictionary in which it's phonetically spelled out what that sound sounds like. It's wonderful. You suddenly think, my goodness, my cat is a linguist, right? Well, yes, and I have to correct you a bit. Sorry about that. I'm no, please not a do. pioneer at that because there was an American uh, scientist called Mildred Milk who already in 1944 wrote a, uh, an article about that, and she had also categorized the, the cat vocalizations into sounds produced with a mouth closed, with an opening closing mouth, and with a, a mouth held tensely open. So, so I'm not the first one finding out about that. But I've also looked at the articulation, and she's correct, so I'm, I'm sticking with her ways of categorizing <laughs> it. Well, that's great. Her work. Well, then that's great. You're standing on the shoulders of a, of a long-ago pioneer whose work basically was unknown to the rest of us. So let's put it this way. You're the explorer who came upon something that somebody else had found, but you're letting the rest of us know about it because something discovered and not disseminated might as well not be discovered in a sense. I mean, those of us who live with cats and want to understand them better and find them in some ways unknowable or too mysterious or impenetrable, your language description of how they're talking allows us to communicate with them better. It's like E.T. in the movie. You can actually find a way to communicate with your cat or at least understand what he or she is saying. And I think that, that the part of cohabitating with cats didn't exist in 1946. The rarest of people had a cat that lived indoors with them all the time. Cats were outdoor creatures. Maybe some were allowed inside. Don't you think that that's a pretty big change in our relationship to cats as cohabitors with us? I haven't thought of that, but, but you've got a point there. I don't think that, that cats were indoor cats and kept us as pets and appreciated as much as they are now. I remember I had my mother had a cat when she was a child, and uh, she was born in 1936. She, so she's pretty old now, and I think she, she was let inside, but she also had she had no litter box, for instance. Right. She was let outside to, to to do her business there. And of course, things have changed, and we appreciate and and we almost treat our pets as as humans sometimes, which is a bit exaggerated in my opinion. But but I agree. I think. Our relationship with with our pets has improved, and and uh, we've become more 
familiar to communicating with, with other species as well? Well, I think that we, we ascribe emotion or, or um, intention more to dogs than to cats. So if the cat's walking around the house, and let's say it's a Siamese, which could be more vocal, and going meow, 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 we're only hearing meow, meow, meow. Oh, what do you want? You want to be patted or you want food? But if you... But your book, The Secret Language of Cats, allows us to understand that there's many different meows, there's many different ways of talking, and if we start to really pay attention, we can begin to discern our individual cat's way of telling us a variety of things. Now, we might be anthropomorphizing, we might be still guessing, but there are such different tonalities and different ways of making the sound, and I think the various sounds, I think that's one of the beauties of your book is that it helps people pay more attention to their cats, which they sort of want to do anyway, but your book gives them a guidebook or a map to sort of pay more attention intelligently instead of just feel, oh, I guess it's just meowing, I guess it's just purring. Does that seem to you as though that was part of your intention? Well, that's how I learned to to understand my cats better. So, So by listening more carefully to their sounds and trying to to relate them to a specific context for instance yes if it's, it's, it's a food situation or if the cat wants to come inside or go outside or play or cuddle or just wants to greet you or have a chat or whatever and also trying to to look at the the visual signals the the body postures the body movements the head movements and so on to try to to guess what the mental state or the emotional state of the cat is. Is the cat stressed? Is it content? Right. Is she discontent or whatever? And and by combining all these modalities and by listening very carefully, I think that anyone can learn to understand their cats better. I think it really helps to have someone describe it because even these descriptions, as I would read them, whether or not someone else first came up with the categories, it's your words and your compassion, if you will, empathy for the cats that helps you to to translate them to us, to translate the sounds to us, and then we have to apply it to the, the cats that we live with. But I think that it, it, it bridges a gap which is really wide. I've found in the work that I've done over all these years that cat owners are, in a sense, much more engaged than dog owners. They want so much to make a great life for their cats and to understand them and to try to break through this kind of interspecies barrier of what are they really thinking? What are they feeling? What do they need? Because cats are so slinky in the way that they tell you things. They aren't overt like so many dogs. They don't just lay it out there. And I think that this offers a a well-needed and I think will be much gratefully received way of thinking about how your cats are thinking and feeling. And the intercat issues are big ones too. Uh, many of those sounds that you describe and talk about, or behaviors, which is another kind of language. Language isn't only vocal. It helps us to understand what's going on between and amongst them. You have five cats. Do you find that that gives you a great deal bigger field to play in? Uh, it does. It certainly does. And um some of my cats, they, they are allowed outside as well, and they meet the neighbor's cats as well. So I have a, a wide range of, of cats meeting outside in our neighborhood, and I try to, to sneak up on them with my video camera <laughs> and record them. And, well, and 
even even better now we're having a research project where we have so far recorded 70 cats My. in Sweden interacting with with their owners or with other cats in the family and so on so we are, we're developing a sort of a, a, a database of, of interactions between cats and between cats and their, their owners so we're getting there I'm still learning so much every day but I'm, I'm beginning to get a hang of it somehow anyway so well, that that's what any what anyone who's at the forefront of something does it's trial and error and then feeling that you've hit upon something that has value. Do you want to encourage owners elsewhere to do anything in the way of citizen science, as we call it in America, video their cats at, at, in any kind of behaviors that involve vocalization? Is that of interest or use to you? It would be, yes, but um, I would need something more than just the, the video recordings. I would need some information about the, the breed of the cat, the age, the, the, the sex, and also the context, because it's not only it's not right. always diff, easy to, to tell from a video, is this a food context or is it uh, a greeting context or whatever. So I would need some, some additional information to, to go with that. But so, so that would be something we could, I could write a little blog about it to those that, you know, listen to the podcast and then forget saying, you know, the work you're doing, I think it's really important and really valuable to every cat owner as well as to the outside world to, to have more respect and appreciation for who cats really are. So if people think they have a very interesting cat or an interesting situation, it's so easy to, to video, audio record anything nowadays, and then you just put down the information about what the context is and what the cat's background is. You know, did you have them for birth? Did you adopt them? Have you only had them for a short amount of time? And and then you'll let me know, Suzanne, how they might forward those on to you because you are at the beginning of building this great database. Wouldn't it be great if people could contribute and the ones that are unique or valuable to you, you could make part of, of the ongoing work that will really, really benefit people for a long time in many places. Yeah, that would be really great. But if if I could just send you some 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 a few lines about what I need. Yes, also, definitely. And some sort of, of consent form as well that I'm allowed to do research yes. on, on videos that which other people have shot and so on. That would be lovely. Yes. Yes, you're right. You need that if you can use it later. That's a great idea. Well, I I think that the people listening will be really interested in that, and I'm going to also ask you. Um, with just a little bit of time we have left, if there's any films that you or anybody else that you're working with might like to make short documentaries about your work, I would love to include it in the Next Cat Film Festival, which travels around America. Because I think the more that we can empower cat owners and elevate the status of cats, the better off we'll all be. So if, if at any point somebody there, it's a, a rich uh, cultural country, Sweden, uh, wants to make a documentary about what you're doing, a short documentary, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. I think it would be wonderful. Shoot a little bit of footage of you at home with your kitties and then how you do work um, in the lab and how you record. I think we'd all love to see that. So may I just ask you to put that idea out into the universe and see if somebody grabs it. Well, actually, we're about uh, to to start a small YouTube channel, which I think will be called cat talk with Suzanne where Lovely. I try to to include my research and very fundamental basic way so that everyone can understand it and also to, to try to, to include something about well 
my neighbor's cats, the cats that we recorded, some, some portraits, and try to, to well, not educate, but, but inform the general public about our work and, and about what I know about cat communication in, in some ways. So hopefully uh, in the beginning of next year, we will be able to, to publish our first episode. But we'll see how Fantastic. that goes. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll, we'll point people to it. Thank you so much for, for what you're doing on behalf of cats and to further knowledge. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has deepened your understanding and affection for cats everywhere. It's been brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, which has broken new ground by creating a healthy, dry, and canned food for kitties called Clean Protein, which is inspired by the protein levels found in a cat's natural prey. I recommend that wet food should always be your cat's primary diet. But clean protein is the first dry cat food I believe can be a healthy choice if you want to feed dry food, even as part of your cat's diet. This show is also supported by cat water, specially created for cats because kitties don't naturally drink water. Cat water is chlorine-free, ozonated, and lightly acidic, which encourages them to drink more, promoting urinary tract health with an ideal urinary pH. Clinical studies by the University of Montreal School of Veterinary School showed that cat water dramatically reduces minerals in a cat's urinary tract and that 9 out of 10 cats preferred cat water to tap water and drank 48% more of it. Cat water is 100% free of all minerals known to cause urinary infections and bladder stones, which matters because UTIs are the number one reason cats are taken to the vet. Amazon, Petco, and other pet stores carry bottles of cat water.